Act First of Little Eolf by Henrik Ibsen, translated by William Archer. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Alfred Almers, read by Bruce Peary. Rita Almers, read by Elizabeth Clett. Eolf, read by Katie Riley. Miss Asta Almers, read by Ariel Lipshaw. Engineer Borgheim. Read by M. B. The Rat Wife. Read by Ruth Golding. Narrator. Stage directions. Read by Nadine Kurtboulet. Act First. A pretty and richly decorated garden room, full of furniture, flowers, and plants. At the back, open glass doors leading out to a veranda. An extensive view over the fjord. In the distance, wooded hillsides. A door in each of the side walls the one on the right a folding door placed far back in front of the right a sofa with cushions and rugs beside the sofa a small table and chairs in front on the left a larger table with armchairs around it on the table stands an open handbag it is an early summer morning with warm sunshine mrs rita almers stands beside the table facing towards the left engaged in unpacking the bag she is a handsome, rather tall, well-developed blonde, about thirty years of age, dressed in a light-colored morning gown. Shortly after, Miss Esther Almus enters by the door on the right, wearing a light brown summer dress, with hat, jacket, and parasol. Under her arm she carries a locked portfolio of considerable size. She is slim, of middle height, with dark hair and deep, earnest eyes, twenty-five years old as she enters good morning my dear rita turns her head and nods to her what is that you asta come all the way from town so early takes off her things and lays them on a chair beside the door yes such a restless feeling came over me i felt i must come out to-day and see how little eof was getting on and you too lays the portfolio on the table beside the sofa so i took the steamer and here i am smiling to her and i dare say you met one or other of your friends on board quite by chance of course no i did not meet a soul i knew sees the bag why rita what have you got there still unpacking alfred's travelling bag don't you recognize it joyfully approaching her what has alfred come home yes only think he came quite unexpectedly by the late train last night oh then that was what my feeling meant it was that that drew me out here and he hadn't written a line to let you know? Not even a postcard? Not a single word. Did he not even telegraph? Yes, an hour before he arrived, quite curtly and coldly. <laughs> Don't you think that was like him, Asta? Yes, he goes so quietly about everything. But that made it all the more delightful to have him again. Yes, I am sure it would. A whole fortnight before I expected him. And is he quite well? not in low spirits closes the bag with a snap and smiles at her he looked quite transfigured as he stood in the doorway and was he not the least bit tired either oh yes he seemed to be tired enough very tired in fact but poor fellow he had come on foot the greater part of the way and then perhaps the high mountain air may have been rather too keen for him oh no i don't think so at all i haven't heard him cough once ah there you see now it was a good thing after all that the doctor talked him into taking this tour yes now that it is safely over 
But I can tell you it has been a terrible time for me, Asta. I have never cared to talk about it. And you so seldom came out to see me, too. Yes, I dare say that wasn't very nice of me, but— Well, 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 of course you had your school to attend to in town. Smiling. And then our roadmaker friend. Of course he was away, too. Oh, don't talk like that, Rita. Very well, then. We will leave the roadmaker out of the question. Oh, you can't think how I have been longing for Alfred. How empty the place seemed. How desolate. Oh, it felt as if there had been a funeral in the house. Why, dear me, only six or seven weeks. Yes, but you must remember that Alfred has never been away from me before. Never so much as twenty-four hours. Not once in all these ten years. No. But that is just why I really think it was high time he should have a little outing this year. He ought to have gone for a tramp in the mountains every summer. He really ought. Half smiling. Oh, yes, it's all very well for you to talk. If I were as... as reasonable as you, I suppose I should have let him go before. Perhaps. But I positively could not, Asta. It seemed to me I should never get him back again. Surely you can understand that? No. But I dare say that is because I have no one to lose. With a teasing smile. Really? No one at all? Not that I know of. Changing the subject. But tell me, Rita, where is Alfred? Is he still asleep? Oh, not at all. He got up as early as ever today. Then he can't have been so very tired after all. Yes, he was last night when he arrived. But now he has had little Eolf with him in his room for a whole hour and more. Poor little white-faced boy! Has he to be forever at his lessons again? With a slight shrug. Alfred will have it so, you know. Yes, but I think you ought to put down your foot about it, Rita. Oh, no, come now, I really cannot meddle with that. Alfred knows so much better about these things than I do. And what did you have Eolf do? He can't run about and play, you see. Like other children. I will talk to Alfred about this. Yes, do. I wish you would. Oh, here he is. Alfred Olmos, dressed in light summer clothes, enters by the door on the left, leading Eolf by the hand. He is a slim, lightly built man, of about thirty-six or thirty-seven, with gentle eyes and thin brown hair and beard. His expression is serious and thoughtful. Eolf wears a suit cut like a uniform, with gold braid and gilt military buttons. He is lame, and walks with a crutch under his left arm. His leg is shrunken. He is undersized and looks delicate, but has beautiful, intelligent eyes. Drops Eolf's hand, goes up to Asta with an expression of marked pleasure, and holds out both his hands to her. Asta, my dearest Asta, to think of your coming, to think of my seeing you so soon. I felt I must. Welcome home again. Shaking her hands. Thank you for coming. Doesn't he look well? Gazes fixedly at him. Splendid, quite splendid. His eyes are so much brighter. And I suppose you have done a great deal of writing on your travels. I shouldn't wonder if you had finished the whole book, Alfred. Shrugging his shoulders. The book? Oh, the book. Yes, I would sure you would find it go so easily when once you got away. So I thought, too, but, do you know, I didn't find it so at all. The truth is, I have not written a line of the book. Not a line? Oh, ho. I wondered when I found all the paper lying untouched in your bag. But, my dear Alfred, what have you been doing all this time? Smiling. Only thinking and thinking and thinking. Putting her arm round his neck. 
and thinking a little too of those you had left at home yes you may be sure of that i have thought a great deal of you every single day taking her arm away oh that is all i care about but you haven't even touched the book and yet you can look so happy and contented that is not what you generally do i mean when your work is going badly you are right there you see i have been such a fool hitherto all the best that is in you goes into thinking what you put on paper is worth very little worth very little <laughs> what an absurd thing to say alfred looks confidingly up at him oh yes papa what you write is worth a great deal smiling and stroking his hair well well since you say so but i can tell you some one is coming after me who will do it better who can that be oh tell me only wait you may be sure he will come and let us hear of him and what will you do then then i will go to the mountains again fie alfred for shame up to the peaks and the great waste places papa don't you think i shall soon be well enough for you to take me with you with painful emotion oh yes perhaps my little boy it would be so splendid you know if i could climb the mountains like you changing the subject why how beautifully you are dressed to-day eyolf yes don't you think so auntie yes indeed is it in honour of papa that you have got your new clothes on yes i asked mamma to let me i wanted so to let papa see me in them to rita you shouldn't have given him clothes like that in a low voice oh he has teased me so long about them he had set his heart on them he gave me no peace and i forgot to tell you papa borkheim has brought me a new bow and he has taught me how to shoot with it too ah there now that's just the sort of thing for you eyolf and next time he comes i shall ask him to teach me to swim too to swim oh what makes you want to learn swimming well you know all the boys down at the beach can swim i am the only one that can't with emotion taking him in his arms you shall learn whatever you like everything you really want to then do you know what i want most of all papa no tell me i want most of all to be a soldier oh little eyolf there are many many other things that are better than that ah but when i grow big then i shall have to be a soldier you know that don't you clenching his hands together well 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 we shall see seating herself at the table on the left eyolf come here to me and i will tell you something goes up to her what is it auntie what do you think eyolf i have seen the rat wife what seen the rat wife you're only making a fool of me no it's quite true i saw her yesterday where did you see her i saw her on the road outside the town i saw her too somewhere up in the country who is sitting on the sofa perhaps it will be our turn to see her next eyolf auntie isn't it strange that she should be called the rat wife oh people just give her that name because she wanders round the country driving away all the rats i have heard that her real name is varg varg that means a wolf doesn't it patting him on the head so you know that do you then perhaps it may be true after all that she is a werewolf at night do you believe that papa oh no i don't believe it now you ought to go and play a little in the garden should i not take some books with me no no books after this you had better go down to the beach to the other boys no papa i won't go down to the boys to-day why not 
Oh, because I have these clothes on. Knitting his brows. Do you mean that they make fun of, of your pretty clothes? No, they daren't, for then I would thrash them. Aha, then why? You see, they are so naughty, these boys, and then they say I can never be a soldier. With suppressed indignation. Why do they say that, do you think? I suppose they are jealous of me, for you know, Papa, they are so poor, they have to go about barefoot. Softly, with choking voice. Oh, Rita, how it wrings my heart. Soothingly, rising. Oh, there, there, there. But these rascals shall soon find out who is the master down at the beach. There is someone knocking. Oh, I'm sure it's Borkheim. Come in. The rat wife comes softly and noiselessly in by the door on the right. She is a thin little shrunken figure, old and gray-haired, with keen piercing eyes, dressed in an old-fashioned flowered gown, with a black hood and cloak. She has in her hand a large red umbrella, and carries a black bag, by a loop over her arm. Softly, taking hold of Esther's dress. Auntie, that must surely be her. Curtsying at the door. I humbly beg pardon, but are your worships troubled with any gnawing things in the house? Here? No, I don't think so. For it would be such a pleasure to me to rid your worship's house of them. Yes, yes, we understand, but we have nothing of the sort here. That's very unlucky, that is. For I just happen to be on my rounds now, and goodness knows when I may be in these parts again. Oh, how tired I am. Pointing to a chair. Yes, you look tired. I know one ought never to get tired of doing good to the poor little things that are hated and persecuted so cruelly. But it takes your strength out of you, it does. Won't you sit down and rest a little? I thank your ladyship with all my heart. Seats herself on a chair between the door and the sofa. I have been out all night at my work. Have you indeed? Yes, over on the islands. <laughs> the people sent for me, I can assure you. They didn't like it a bit, but there was nothing else to be done. They had to put a good face on it and bite the sour apple. Looks at Eolf and nods. The sour apple, little master. The sour apple. Involuntarily, a little timidly. Why did they have to... What? To bite it. Why? Because they couldn't keep body and soul together on account of the rats. And all the little rat children you see, young master. Oh, poor people. Have they so many of them? Yes. It was all alive and swarming with them. <laughs> They came creepy, crawly up into the beds all night long. They plumped into the milk cans, and they went pittering and pattering all over the floor, backwards and forwards and up and down. I shall never go there, Auntie. But then I came, I and another along with me. And we took them with us, every one, the sweet little creatures. 
We made an end of every one of them. Papa, look, look. Good heavens, Eolf. What's the matter? Pointing. There's something wriggling in the bag. At the extreme left, shrieks. Oh, send her away, Alfred. <laughs> oh, dearest lady, you needn't be frightened of such a little mannequin. But what is the thing? Why, it's only little Mopsy Man. Loosening the string of the bag. Come up out of the dark, my own little darling friend. A little dog with a broad black snout pokes its head out of the bag, nodding and beckoning to Eyolf. Come along, don't be afraid, my little wounded warrior. He won't bite. Come here. Come here. Clinging to Asta. No, I dare not. Don't you think he has a gentle, lovable countenance, my young master? Astonished, pointing. That thing there? Yes, this thing here. Almost under his breath, staring fixedly at the dog. I think he has the horriblest countenance I ever saw. Closing the bag. Oh, it will come. It will come right enough. Involuntarily drawing nearer, at last goes right up to her and strokes the bag. But he is lovely. Lovely all the same. In a tone of caution. But now he is so tired and weary, poor thing. He's utterly tired out, he is. Looks at Ormus. For it takes the strength out of you, that sort of game, I can tell you, sir. What sort of game do you mean? The luring game. Do you mean that it is the dog that lures the rats? Nodding. Mopsy Man and I, we two do it together. And it goes so smoothly, for all you can see, at any rate. I just slip a string through his collar, and then I lead him three times round the house, and play on my pan's pipes. When they hear that, they have got to come up from the cellars, and down from the garrets, and out of their holes, all the blessed little creatures. And does he bite them to death, then? Oh, not at all. No, we go down to the boat, he and I do. And then they follow after us, both the big ones and the little rattykins. And what then? Tell me. Then we push out from the land and I scull with one oar and play on my pan's pipes. And Mopsy Man, he swims behind. With glittering eyes. And all the creepers and crawlers, they follow and follow us out into the deep deep waters. Aye, for they have to. Why do they have to? Just because they want not to. Just because they are so deadly afraid of the water. That is why they have got to plunge into it. Are they drowned then? Every blessed one. And there it is, all as still and soft and dark as their hearts can desire, the lovely little things. Down there they sleep a long, sweet sleep, with no one to hate them or persecute them any more. Rises, 
In the old days, I can tell you, I didn't need any Mopsy Man. Then I did the luring myself. I alone. And what did you lure then? Men. One most of all. Oh, who was that one? Tell me. It was my own sweetheart, it was. Little heartbreaker. And where is he now, then? Down where all the rats are. But now I must be off and get to business again. Always on the move. To Rita. So, your ladyship has no sort of use for me today? I could finish it all off while I'm about it. No, thank you. I don't think we require anything. Well, well, your sweet ladyship, you can never tell. If your ladyship should find that there is anything here that keeps nibbling and gnawing and creeping and crawling, then just see and get hold of me and Mopsy Man. Goodbye. Goodbye. A kind goodbye to you all. She goes out by the door on the right. Softly and triumphantly to Esther. Only think, Auntie, now I have seen the rat wife too. Rita goes out upon the veranda and fans herself with her pocket handkerchief. Shortly afterwards, Eyolf slips cautiously and unnoticed out to the right. Takes up the portfolio from the table by the sofa. Is this your portfolio, Asta? Yes. I have some of the old letters in it. Ah, the family letters. You know you asked me to arrange them for you while you were away. Pats her on the head. And you have actually found time to do that, dear? Oh, yes. I have done it partly out here and partly at my own rooms in town. Thanks, dear. Did you find anything particular in them? Oh, you know, you are always finding something or other in such old papers. It is the letters to mother that are in this portfolio. Those, of course, you must keep yourself. With an effort. No, I am determined that you shall look through them too, Alfred. Sometime, later on in life. I haven't the key of the portfolio with me just now. It doesn't matter, my dear Asta, for I shall never read your mother's letters in any case. Fixing her eyes on him. Then sometime or other, some quiet evening, I will tell you a little of what is in them. Yes, that will be much better. But do you keep your mother's letters? You haven't so many mementos of her. He hands Asta the portfolio. She takes it and lays it on the chair under her outdoor things. Rita comes into the room again. Oh, I feel as if that horrible old woman had brought a sort of graveyard smell with her. Yes, she was rather horrible. I felt almost sick while she was in the room. However, I can very well understand the sort of spellbound fascination that she talked about. The loneliness of the mountain peaks and of the great waste places has something of the same magic about it. Looks attentively at him. What is it that has happened to you, Alfred? Smiling. <laughs> to me? Yes, something has happened. Something seems almost to have transformed you. Rita noticed it, too. Yes, I saw it the moment you came. A change for the better, I hope. Alfred? It ought to be for the better, and it must and shall come to good. You have had some adventure on your journey. Don't deny it. I can see it in your face. Shaking his head. No adventure in the world, outwardly, at least. But... But? It is true that within me there has been something of a revolution. Oh, heavens! Soothingly. 
patting her hand. Only for the better, my dear Rita. You may be perfectly certain of that. Seats herself on the sofa. You must tell us all about it at once. Tell us everything. Turning to Asta. Yes, let us sit down too, Asta. Then I will try to tell you as well as I can. He seats himself on the sofa at Rita's side. Asta moves her chair forward and places herself near him, looking at him expectantly. Well? Gazing straight before him. When I look back over my life and my fortunes for the last ten or eleven years, it seems to me almost like a fairy tale or a dream. Don't you think so too, Asta? Yes, in many ways I think so. When I remember what we two used to be, Asta, we two poor orphan children. Oh, that is such an old, old story. Not listening to her. And now here I am in comfort and luxury. I have been able to follow my vocation. I have been able to work and study, just as I had always longed to. Holds out his hand. And all this great, this fabulous good fortune we owe to you, my dearest Rita. Half playfully, half angrily, slaps his hand. I do wish you would stop talking like that. I speak of it only as a sort of introduction. Then do skip the introduction. Rita, you must not think it was the doctor's advice that drove me up to the mountains. Was it not, Alfred? What was it, then? It was this. I found there was no more peace for me there in my study. No peace? Why, who disturbed you? shaking his head no one from without but i felt as though i were positively abusing or say rather wasting my best powers frittering away the time with wide eyes when you were writing at your book nodding for i cannot think that my powers are confined to that alone i must surely have it in me to do one or two other things as well was that what you sat there brooding over yes mainly that and so that is what has made you so discontented with yourself of late, and with the rest of us as well. For you know you were discontented, Alfred. Gazing straight before him. There I sat, bent over my table, day after day, and often half the night, too, writing and writing at the great thick book on human responsibility. <sighs> Laying her hand upon his arm. But Alfred— that book is to be your life-work. Yes, you have said so often enough. I thought so. Ever since I grew up, I have thought so. With an affectionate expression in his eyes. And it was you that enabled me to devote myself to it, my dear Rita. <sighs> Nonsense. Smiling to her. You, with your gold and your green forests. Half laughing, half vexed. <laughs> if you begin all that rubbish again, I shall beat you looking sorrowfully at him. But the book, Alfred? It began, as it were, to drift away from me. But I was more and more beset by the thought of the higher duties that laid their claims upon me. Beaming seizes his hand. Alfred. The thought of Eyolf, my dear Rita. Disappointed, drops his hand. Ah, of Eyolf. Poor little Eyolf has taken deeper and deeper hold of me. After that unlucky fall from the table, and especially since we have been assured that the injury is incurable. But you take all the care you possibly can of him, Alfred. As a schoolmaster, yes, but not as a father. And it is a father that I want henceforth to be to Eyolf. 
looking at him and shaking her head. I don't think I quite understand you. I mean that I will try with all my might to make his misfortune as painless and easy to him as it can possibly be. Oh, but dear, thank heaven I don't think he feels it so deeply. With emotion. Yes, Rita, he does. Yes, you may be sure he feels it deeply. But, Alfred, what more can you do for him? I will try to perfect all the rich possibilities that are dawning in his childish soul. I will foster all the germs of good in his nature, make them blossom and bear fruit. With more and more warmth, rising. And I will do more than that. I will help him to bring his desires into harmony with what lies attainable before him. That is just what at present they are not. All his longings are for things that must forever remain unattainable to him. But I will create a conscious happiness in his mind. He goes once or twice up and down the room. Asta and Rita follow him with their eyes. You should take these things more quietly, Alfred. Stops beside the table on the left and looks at them. Eyalf shall carry on my life work, if he wants to. Or he shall choose one that is altogether his own. Perhaps that would be best. At all events, I shall let mine rest as it is. Rising. But, Alfred, dear, can you not work both for yourself and for Eyalf? No, I cannot. It is impossible. I cannot divide myself in this matter, and therefore I efface myself. Eyalf shall be the complete man of our race, and it shall be my new life work to make him the complete man. Has risen and now goes up to him. This must have cost you a terribly hard struggle, Alfred. Yes, it has. At home here I should never have conquered myself, never brought myself to the point of renunciation. Never at home. Then that was why you went away this summer? With shining eyes. Yes, I went up into the infinite solitudes. I saw the sunrise gleaming on the mountain peaks. I felt myself nearer the stars. I seemed almost to be in sympathy and communion with them. And then I found the strength for it looking sadly at him. But you will never write any more of your book on human responsibility? No, never, Asta. I tell you, I cannot split up my life between two vocations. But I will act out my human responsibility in my own life. With a smile. Do you think you can live up to such high resolves at home here? Taking her hand. With you to help me, I can. Holds out the other hand. And with you too, Asta drawing her hand away. Ah, with both of us. So, after all, you can divide yourself. Why, my dearest Rita. Rita moves away from him and stands in the garden doorway. A light and rapid knock is heard at the door on the right. Engineer Borgheim enters quickly. He is a young man of a little over thirty. His expression is bright and cheerful, and he holds himself erect. Good morning, Mrs. Almers stops with an expression of pleasure on seeing Olmers. Why, what's this? Home again already, Mr. Olmers. Shaking hands with him. Yes, I arrived last night. His leave was up, Mr. Borgheim. No, you know it wasn't, Rita. Approaching. Oh, yes, but it was, though. His furlough had run out. I see you hold your husband well in hand, Mrs. Olmers. I hold to my rights. And besides, everything must have an end. Oh, not everything, I hope. 
Good morning, Miss Almers. Holding aloof from him. Good morning. Looking at Borgheim. Not everything you say. Oh, I am firmly convinced that there are some things in the world that will never come to an end. I suppose you are thinking of love and that sort of thing. I'm thinking of all that is lovely. And that never comes to an end. Yes, let us think of that. Hope for that, all of us. Coming up to them. I suppose you will soon have finished your road work out here. I have finished it already. Finished it yesterday. It has been a long business, but, thank heaven, that has come to an end. And you are beaming with joy over that. Yes, I am indeed. <laughs> well, I must say. What, Mrs. Almers? I don't think it is particularly nice of you, Mr. Borgheim. Indeed? Why not? Well, I suppose we shan't often see you in these parts after this. Uh, no, that is true. I hadn't thought of that. Oh, well, I suppose you'll be able to look in upon us now and then all the same. Uh, no, unfortunately, that will be out of my power for a very long time. Indeed? How so? Uh, the fact is, I've got a big piece of new work that I must set about at once. Have you indeed? Pressing his hand. I am heartily glad to hear it. I congratulate you, Mr. Borgheim. Hush, hush, I really ought not to talk of it openly as yet. But I can't help coming out with it. It is a great piece of road-making, up in the north, with mountain ranges to cross and most tremendous difficulties to overcome. With an outburst of gladness. Oh, what a glorious world this is, and what a joy it is to be a road-maker in it. Smiling and looking teasingly at him. Is it road-making business that has brought you out here today in such wild spirits? No, not that alone. I'm thinking of all the bright and hopeful prospects that are opening out before me. Aha! Then perhaps you have something still more exquisite in reserve. Glancing towards Esther. Who knows? When once happiness comes to us, it is apt to come like a spring flood. Turns to Esther. Uh, Miss Almers, would you not like to take a little walk with me, as we used to? No. No, thank you. Not now. Not today. Oh, do come. Only a little bit of a walk. I have so much I want to talk to you about before I go. And something else, perhaps, that you must not talk openly about as yet. Hmm. That depends. But there is nothing to prevent your whispering, you know. Half aside. Asta, you must really go with him. But my dear Rita— Miss Asta, remember it is to be a farewell walk. The last for many a day. Takes her hat and parasol. Very well. Suppose we take a stroll in the garden, then. Oh, thank you. Thank you. And while you are there, you can see what Eolf is doing. Ah, Eolf, by the by. Where is Eolf today? I've got something for him. He is out playing somewhere. Is he really? Then he has begun to play now. He used always to be sitting indoors over his books. There is to be an end of that now. I am going to make a regular open-air boy of him. Ah, now that's right. Out into the open air with him, poor little fellow. Good Lord, what can we possibly do better than play in this blessed world? For my part, I think all life is one long playtime. Come, Miss Asta. Borgheim and Asta go out on the veranda and down through the garden. Stands looking after them. Rita, do you think there is anything between those two? I don't know what to say. I used to think there was. But Asta has grown so strange to me, so utterly incomprehensible of late. Indeed, has she? While I have been away? Yes, within the last week or two. 
and do you think she doesn't care very much about him now not seriously not utterly and entirely not unreservedly i'm sure she doesn't look searchingly at him would it displease you if she did it would not exactly displease me but it would certainly be a disquieting thought disquieting yes you must remember that i am responsible for asta for her life's happiness oh come responsible surely asta has come to years of discretion i should say she was capable of choosing for herself yes we must hope so rita for my part i don't think at all ill of borgheim no dear no more do i quite the contrary but all the same and i should be very glad indeed if he and asta were to make a match of it oh why should you be why for then she would have to go far far away with him and she could never come out here to us as she does now what can you really wish asta to go away yes yes alfred why in all the world throwing her arms passionately round his neck for then at last i should have you to myself alone and yet not even then not wholly to myself oh alfred alfred i cannot give you up gently releasing himself my dearest rita do be reasonable i don't care a bit about being reasonable i care only for you only for you in all the world again throwing her arms round his neck for you for you for you let me go let me go you are strangling me letting him go how i wish i could looking at him with flashing eyes oh if you knew how i have hated you hated me yes when you shut yourself up in your room and brooded over your work till long long into the night so long so late alfred oh how i hated your work but now i have done with that <laughs> oh yes now you have given yourself up to something worse worse do you call our child something worse yes i do as he comes between you and me i call him so for the book the book was not a living being as the child is but i won't endure it alfred i will not endure it i tell you so plainly looks steadily at her and says in a low voice i am often almost afraid of you rita i am often afraid of myself and for that very reason you must not awake the evil in me why good heavens do i do that yes you do when you tear to shreds the holiest bonds between us think what you're saying rita it is your own child our only child that you are speaking of the child is only half mine but you shall be mine alone you shall be wholly mine that i have a right to demand of you shrugging his shoulders oh my dear rita it is of no use demanding anything everything must be freely given looks anxiously at him and that you cannot do henceforth no i cannot i must divide myself between eyolf and you but if eyolf had never been born what then oh that would be another matter then i should have only you to care for then i wish he had never been born rita you don't know what you are saying trembling with emotion it was in pain unspeakable that i brought him into the world but i bore it all with joy and rapture for your sake oh yes i know i know but there it must end i will live my life together with you wholly with you i cannot go on being only eyolf's mother only his mother and nothing more i will not i tell you i cannot 
I will be all in all to you, to you, Alfred. But that is just what you are, Rita. Through our child? <sighs> Vapid, nauseous phrases, nothing else. No, Alfred, I am not to be put off like that. I was fitted to become the child's mother, but not to be a mother to him. You must take me as I am, Alfred. And yet you used to be so fond of Eyolf. I was so sorry for him, because you troubled yourself so little about him. You kept him reading and grinding at books. You scarcely even saw him. Nodding slowly. No, I was blind. The time had not yet come for me. Looking in his face. But now, I suppose, it has come. Yes, at last. Now I see that the highest task I can have in the world is to be a true father to Eyolf. And to me? What will you be to me? I will always go on caring for you with calm, deep tenderness. He tries to take her hands, evading him. I don't care a bit for your calm, deep tenderness. I want you utterly and entirely and alone, just as I had you in the first rich, beautiful days. Never, never will I consent to be put off with scraps and leavings, Alfred. I should have thought there was happiness in plenty for all three of us, Rita. Then you are easy to please. Seats herself at the table on the left. Now listen to me. Approaching. Well, what is it? Looking up at him with a veiled glow in her eyes. When I got your telegram yesterday evening. Yes, what then? Then I dressed myself in white. Yes, I noticed you were in white when I arrived. I had let down my hair. Your sweet masses of hair. So that it flowed down my neck and shoulders. I saw it, I saw it. Oh, how lovely you were, Rita. There were rose-tinted shades over both the lamps, and we were alone, we two, the only waking beings in the whole house, and there was champagne on the table. I did not drink any of it. Looking bitterly at him. No, that is true. <laughs> there stood the champagne, but you tasted it not, as the poet says. She rises from the armchair goes with an air of weariness over to the sofa, and seats herself, half reclining, upon it, crosses the room, and stands before her. I was so taken up with serious thoughts. I had made up my mind to talk to you of our future, Rita, and first and foremost of Eyolf. And so you did. No, I had not time to, for you began to undress. Yes, and meanwhile you talked about Eyolf. Don't you remember? You wanted to know all about little Eyolf's digestion. Looking reproachfully at her. Rita. And then you got into your bed and slept the sleep of the just. Shaking his head. Rita, Rita. Lying at full length and looking up at him. Alfred. Yes? There stood your champagne, but you tasted it not. No, I did not taste it. He goes away from her and stands in the garden doorway. Rita lies for some time motionless, with closed eyes. Suddenly springing up. But let me tell you one thing, Alfred. Turning in the doorway. Well? You ought not to feel quite so secure as you do. Not secure? No. You ought not to be so indifferent. Not certain of your property in me. Drawing nearer. What do you mean by that? Never in a single thought have I been untrue to you, Alfred. Never for an instant. No, Rita, I know that. I, who know you so well. With sparkling eyes. But if you disdain me. Disdain? I don't understand what you mean. 
Oh, you don't know all that might rise up within me if— If? If I should ever see that you did not care for me, that you did not love me as you used to. But, my dearest Rita, years bring a certain change with them, and that must one day occur even in us, as in everyone else. Never in me! And I will not hear of any change in you either. I could not bear it, Alfred. I want to keep you to myself alone. Looking at her with concern. You have a terribly jealous nature. I can't make myself different from what I am. If you go and divide yourself between me and anyone else. What then? Then I will take my revenge on you, Alfred. How take your revenge? I don't know how. Oh, yes, I do know well enough. Well? I will go and throw myself away. Throw yourself away, do you say? Yes, that I will. I'll throw myself straight into the arms of the first man that comes in my way. Looking tenderly at her and shaking his head. That you will never do, my loyal, proud, true-hearted Rita. Putting her arms round his neck. Oh, you don't know what I might come to be if you... if you did not love me any more. Did not love you, Rita? How can you say such a thing? Half laughing, lets him go. Why should I not spread my nets for that, that road-maker man that hangs about here? Oh, thank goodness. You are only joking. Not at all. He would do as well as anyone else. Ah, but I suspect he is more or less taken up already. So much the better. For then I should take him away from someone else, and that is just what Eolf has done to me. Can you say that our little Eolf has done that? Pointing with her forefinger. There. You see? You see? The moment you mention Eolf's name you grow tender and your voice quivers. Threateningly, clenching her hands. Oh, you almost tempt me to wish. Looking at her anxiously. What do I tempt you to wish, Rita? Vehemently going away from him. No. No, no, I won't tell you that. Never. Drawing nearer to her. Rita, I implore you, for my sake and for your own, do not let yourself be tempted into evil. Borgheim and Esther come up from the garden. They both show signs of restrained emotion. They look serious and dejected. Esther remains out on the veranda. Borgheim comes into the room. So that is over. Miss Almers and I have had our last walk together. Looks at him with surprise. Ah! And there is no longer journey to follow the walk? Yes, for me. For you alone? Yes, for me alone. Glances darkly at Olmus. Do you hear that? Turns to Borgheim. I'll wager it is someone with the evil eye that has played you this trick. The evil eye? Yes, the evil eye. Do you believe in the evil eye, Mrs. Olmers? Yes, I have begun to believe in the evil eye. Especially in a child's evil eye. Rita, how can you? It is you that make me so wicked and hateful, Alfred. Confused cries and shrieks are heard in the distance from the direction of the fjord. Going to the glass door. What noise is that? In the doorway. Look at all those people running down to the pier. What can it be? Looks out for a moment. No doubt it's those street urchins at some mischief again. Calls, leaning over the veranda railings. I say, you boys down there, what's the matter? Several voices are heard answering indistinctly and confusedly. What do they say? They say it's a child that's drowned. A child drowned? A little boy, they say. Oh, they could all swim, every one of them. Where is Eolf? 
Keep quiet, quiet. Eoth is down in the garden, playing. No, he wasn't in the garden. With upstretched arms. Oh, if only it isn't he. Listens and calls down. Whose child is it, do you say? Indistinct voices are heard. Borgheim and Esther utter a suppressed cry and rush out through the garden, in an agony of dread. It isn't Eyjolf. It isn't Eyjolf, Rita. On the veranda, listening. Hush! Be quiet. Let me hear what they are saying. Rita rushes back with a piercing shriek into the room, following her. What did they say? Sinking down beside the armchair on the left. They said the crutch is floating. Almost paralyzed. No, no, no. Eolf, Eolf, oh, but they must save him. They must, they must. So precious a life. He rushes down through the garden. End of Act First